Production. Recorded live. Good morning, good evening, wherever you may be across the nation or around the world. Once again, you are listening to the VMware Communities Roundtable Podcast. This is podcast number 407. My name is Eric Nelson, and with me today, as always, my co-host, John White. John, how are you doing today? Hey, Eric. It's, uh, it's a pretty smoky day, actually, today. Uh, I don't know if people know this, but there's a bunch of wildfires going on in wine country. So it was really, uh, you know, as I was crossing the bridge, I, I usually do my color of the bay report, but it, it was a little bit tough to pay attention to the color of the bay with all the smoke in the air. It's uh, kind of a sad thing going on right now. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is. It's a it's native California experience where once in a while the whole place lights up, especially after a wet season like what we had yeah. over over last uh, last winter break. When everything gets wet, everything grows twice as much. I get twice as much honey from my bees. But then come fire season, I gotta do a shout out to all the fire people in the in the western region because to be a fire person um, in the west. Is a, is a different environment, right? Like you earn your money here, right? Oh there, there's no yeah. making chili and sitting around a firehouse. This is a different game. You had winds going 50 and 60 miles an hour earlier in the week and it was just whipping up the flames out of control. I think it's a, it's a little bit milder now, but um, at any rate, that was just the, the color of the bay is smoky. Smoky. Smoky it is. Well, um, we're back again this week. Uh, the subject for this uh, this this podcast is cloud.vmware.com. Uh, we have it should be fun to talk um, about what's happening with our cloud offerings now. VMware is in the cloud business, and we have Richard Monroe here um, to talk to us about the cloud offerings. Uh, he's a head evangelist for the cloud business unit, and so uh, Richard will be on in a little bit. Before we get introduce Richard and get to him, let's do a little bit of the news um it's a little cloudy out there i would say (laughs) but maybe smoky is the right word uh news wise there has been a new release of power cli uh so we're happy about that i think the release is 6.5.3 and they do have a blog out on it on blogs.vmware.com the power cli blog you can go there and read about 6.5.3 and just google it you can find that blog um interesting stuff there we've also had uh, this week, uh, the IQT conference, which is the Internet of Things conference, and Michael Dell uh, did some announcements there and have been speaking about you know, the world of uh, Internet of Things, so a lot of announcements happening around that technology conference, and I believe the IoT, Dell Tech invested a $1 billion in IoT, so they made that announcement. Um, yeah, it sounds like they're creating a new business unit around it. That's right. That's, uh, some yeah. Amazing focus on that. Uh, and building. our CTO at VMware um, is going to then head up that business unit, um, which is the British fellow, I forget his name, um, who is our CTO, Ray O'Farrell. So Ray O'Farrell mm-hmm. is going to be, I believe, heading up that business unit um, with that billion-dollar investment. So IoT things red hot. And if you were at VMworld this year, uh, you did see that. Uh, I think we mentioned podcast last week or the week before that that you know car companies, uh, everybody's in, involved with um, 
managing small micro CPUs uh, across the world. Municipalities, yeah. Yep. And so big, giant business, that's going on. And we've been making investments and announcements. And so uh, VMware, it's pretty fun. And then I don't know if you know this, but Uber actually it has a building on our campus as well. So, you know, the right. car electronics business is certainly around here, but all IoT stuff is Pre-tiny taking off. B, I think they have. Yeah. That's interesting. I wonder if... Um, I think uh, under the, our office of the CTO, we had a, uh, an incubating uh, IoT business unit. I wonder if that's uh, going to be moving over with Ray or if Ray's going to be wearing two hats. That we I think he's going to have a couple hats. Right. I, I, I believe so. I think it's a promotion for him, too. So I think they'll probably backfill Ray. He'll move over into that world. Uh, but I think he the reason they pulled Ray from VMware is that Ray understands all the work we're doing there. Absolutely. And yeah. so that's going to make sense to uh, pull us in because we have a pretty strong presence. And if if you look at Dell as a whole, I think VMware brings software knowledge, right. in deep software knowledge in systems. Um, that Dell has good software engineers as well, but I think VMware brings that to a whole new level. Right, right. It's it's interesting to to see if he actually does move over. I, I know that our CIO actually took over as CIO of all of uh, Dell Technologies without leaving our, the VMware CIO role. Uh, that's Bath Dyer. So. Right, right. Yeah, you're right. It could be. I don't. I haven't seen this, the org structure, but he right, could right. he could hold dual roles. Right. I mm-hmm. don't think he's going to move. Um, I think he's I think he's in California. So right. Mm-hmm. Um, but certainly a lot of play there. So. Um, Interesting space. VMware is interesting in that space. Uh, Dell's in- interested in continuing to move the needle. Uh, lots of small devices. I know HP has spent some time uh, building ARM-based large-scale compute systems as well. Absolutely, um, they're moonshot. Yeah, and uh, interestingly enough, uh, just from my old days at Sun Microsystems, Sun shut down the Spark business unit this week uh, or last week and laid off a large number of the engineering staff for that. So they're out of the Spark business, which if you really look at Spark business, it was to build massive, Oracle had it to build massive, scaled, uh, multi-threaded CPUs, right? Um, 256 threads in a single CPU uh, or in multi-core, huge scale. But now if you really look at it, ARM-based, you know, moonshot type things, might take over the world. Yeah, it's really interesting. Uh, you know, the it's it's tough to predict the future. You know, right. x86 used to be the future. You know, maybe it's ARM, but you know, one thing that it isn't is Spark. Yeah, uh, which that's is kind right. of a sad, right. sad note. To, well, uh, and the other the other thing that's changing in that world is, uh, you know, cloud services in general, right? Like. You, as a customer, you don't need to go buy big, giant machines now. Now you just let cloud vendors figure out how to offer up services. And if they can scale it out like Google does with you know thousands and thousands of managed small compute nodes, yeah. and you can make that work, and you build a database that scales across those compute nodes, then as a customer, what do you care? A customer might not be able to you know, build out a scaled infrastructure like that, right? right Where right. they'd rather buy one big Spark machine, put it in a rack, turn it on, and have it run the di- database because it's just too much work to build out massively scaled infrastructure. Well, data center operations is expensive, and I think that's what, you know, as as companies yeah. scale, they realize, oh, it's not at the same as taking over a closet in my office, you know, uh, what's being done. You know, and in, in you see right. the growth of colos, you know, in the past 15 years. 20 years because of that, exactly. But now you see the growth of 
the cloud scale providers because it's not just the the physical infrastructure or the the physical plant it's also the server infrastructure and managing that at scale yeah and we're starting to see you know the next wave of that is serverless right do i care about about the x86 system or the virtual machine or do i care about the service that's being offered like sql or that's or right and that's that's what we're seeing and the the end of the spark business is you know the tail end of that, but it's the transition from I care about what the big machine is to I just care about the service. Sure. And I also think that it's indicative of the difficulty of investing in in silicon, right? And having uh, you know electrical engineers designing chips, uh, and and having billion dollar investments that pay off you know ten years from now. Yep. And it, that's just a capital intensive business, and I think. It's it's interesting. I I was part of a talk uh, last week where you know people indicated that basically the U.S. U.S. companies are out of that business. All that investment is in China right now. Yep, sure. Yep, absolutely. But I like to say because the transition to our our cloud-based subject for today that this is all happening because of cloud services. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Which dovetails into uh, what we're going to talk about today with Richard Monroe. So, Richard, I believe you're on the call. Uh, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thank you very much. Interesting intro. All right. All right so what is your official title? Uh, I'm Global Cloud Strategy Director for VMware. Okay. So, you know, right. breaking that down, look, it, it's, it's quite simple, really. So, basically, I uh, spend a lot of time with our customers and partners, and I have been doing so over the last few years. I've been looking at what the reality is of the things they need to do around cloud and then what their experiences are and where, you know, where there's gaps. Um, and I try and make sure that the VMware portfolio, um, you know, with all my uh, colleagues in the cloud group, but we try and make sure that the VMware portfolio of, of services and capabilities are really geared towards helping those customers. You know, not, not necessarily, we're not that worried about whether we're producing the big flashy um, uh, headlights in, in the cloud space. We're, we're just really interested right. in helping customers adopt and do their own cloud transformation piece. But we get okay, some big so headlights along the way. <laughs> cool. So before we get into what you do and the cloud strategy, maybe just for a minute, give us a little elevator pitch. If I ran into you, um, who are you? How long have you been at VMware? And what have you done in the past in uh, your career? Yeah, so my, my, uh, I've been around for a long time, kind of 30 plus years, and really all um, a whole variety of roles, everything from you know starting out in IT support, um, I was there for the start of the x86 era, and I was doing mainframes before that, and um, all the way through kind of projects and enterprise architecture. So, you know, I've, I've been around a bit doing most of the roles that are out there in um, in IT. Um, I moved to VMware, I think it was about five years ago now, and really my mission has been to kind of try and, um, try and help VMware um, continue to, to do what it does, but moving into the the world of cloud because you know it was obviously going to be a dominant theme uh, in the industry it was where customers were going it's where all services were going um, so yeah I then was the uh, European CTO uh, for cloud services for the last few uh, years and then uh, just recently in this year I've kind of moved into the cloud group as we've really amplified our cloud strategy yeah, interesting. So before we get into the cloud strategy, uh, when you started with uh, uh, mainframes, did you ever use punch cards? 
No, I, I just missed that one. So I'm, I'm quite pleased about that. I saw them, uh, but, but I just missed that one. So, yeah, you, you can probably pitch my age based on that. Yeah, that's right. No, I'm like, it was, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, my, just, my, first, my first just, IT job was decorating printouts off a of, of a big mainframe, right? <laughs> right, right. Okay, there you go. So you just missed the card readers, which is uh, I started with cards, so you know you're just a youngster then. So that's, <laughs> that's, that's, <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure we both had an uh, 11 inch wang floppy, so that's uh, that's what matters. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You know, I I just didn't get to play with the 11 inch floppies. I I, I never. <laughs> Yeah, not me, but I <laughs> did that with smaller five and a quarters, of course. Right? So, um, so anyway, so you're now you're here, and uh, you were in Europe running strategy. Now you're you're here, and I, I I just have to say that I always chuckled when people would say VMware and cloud. Oh, we 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 make cloud infrastructure, and we we're in the cloud. And I'm like, we don't have any cloud products. And so for the last eight years, I'm always like, we don't have cloud products, right? So. We're finally at the point where we actually do have cloud products now, right? Like we are, we we are actually uh, have cloud offerings. I mean, when we had vCloud Air, we finally got into that business. But now with uh, VMware Cloud on AWS, we can actually legitimately say we're we're heavy into this cloud business and selling cloud services. But it's just not vSphere on AWS. We have other offerings like Wavefront, HX Technologies, and others that are that are getting us in the cloud business where we're working with AWS customers. Right. Yeah, right. It's um, you know, it's kind of, and actually a lot of this can seem new, um, as if we've kind of pivoted and switched. Um, I, I used the word amplified earlier, you know, and I, I think that's what we've done. We've actually been working on this stuff for quite a while. So I, I think, firstly, you know, just to be uh, philosophical for a minute. I've, you made a statement earlier that I think we overlook sometimes, which is that you know when people are using clouds, they care about the service. And actually, that's exactly right. Uh, a lot of people confuse clouds with platforms and technologies, but actually, the way I would define a, a cloud is by uh, a service experience. You know, it's a, it's an operating model that's enabled, you know, with kind of agility uh, and flexibility built into it. Now that quickly moves into platforms because some platforms just don't work that way full stop. Um, so obviously when you look at something like Amazon Web Services, it's clearly cloud. Everything's on demand, everything's agile. So so we make the association there. But actually you can use, um, you know, many traditional technologies can feature in, in terms of delivering a cloud. And I think uh, private cloud is a real thing. Uh, you absolutely can deliver it. Um, I would caveat that with, saying a lot of what when people tell me they have private clouds and I say, okay, have you virtualized the network? Uh, no, we haven't done that. Okay, you don't have a private cloud, right? So, you know, you, right. you can misname things, but I, I think you can always benchmark your whether you're actually delivering a cloud by saying, have I got end consumers taking advantage of this service and are they happy that they can get what they need when they need it? And, and if the answer is no, you're, you're not running a cloud. Right, it's really taking your whole infrastructure and making it a service that then, you know, and whether you're doing that internal or external, you either private cloud or a public cloud, but it's that service-oriented approach that really defines whether you have a cloud or not. That's it, yeah, that's it for me, yeah. Right, right. It's so interesting because, um, you know, people, you know, seem to be misusing that word all the time, cloud, and especially if you go by the strict, you know, NIST definition, um, 
you know, the, the whole idea of self-service and monitoring and bill back is, is a critical piece of that. But that seems to be missed, right? Oh, we have a private cloud. We don't charge for it. We have a private cloud, but, you know, our, our internal customers can't actually self-provision on it. Um, so it's so a weird, weird use of the word, but uh, maybe, you know, language is changing. Yeah, look, I think that the goal of the goal of cloud, if you think, where most people say, because some of it just comes from, um, you know, regardless of what the proper definition of it is, a lot of it just comes from an expectation, like the general expectation. And I think when customers um, that I talk to, you know, particularly kind of in the C-suite, et cetera, you know, when they have cloud, from, from a developer, right, they think they have cloud if they don't have to raise a service ticket. <laughs> You know, all they've ever wanted is to be empowered to just to get on with their job of coding, coding fast, getting resources on demand and not being held back by kind of service tickets and somebody authorizing whether they can have things and stuff like that. So, you know, even their perception of of cloud is really driven by the way they consume the services. And then within the um, C-level, it's the same thing again. It's I've got someone in my line of business. They've got five ideas of what to do. Um, the traditional IT delivery model says that we're going to narrow that down to one thing. Uh, we're going to try it. It's going to be expensive, capex heavy. It's going to take a long time. The cloud view is we're going to try all five. Right? Some of them will die within the first couple of weeks. That's fine. They're gone. We'll just we'll just wipe them from the books. But we're going to try the other three, minimum investment, and then grow them as they succeed. That's what successful companies do. Um, you know, they try lots of things to find the good ideas. I think when you have that kind of uh, relationship with your IT services, that's when people really say that you're in a you know you're in a cloud delivery model, and that's one of the things that I try and focus on. Technology platforms they are really important because they can stop that happening, um, but the goal is always are you achieving kind of that cloud delivery model for your business? Right, right. So on the. Uh, when we're talking about what we announced at VMworld, and now this is starting to roll out, I've heard you know the, that uh, cloud on AWS. If we get specific about what VMware's you know trying to offer up, one is you know vSphere instances um, on AWS that are easily spun up. We announced this. I know that we're rolling this out. We have data center, you know, uh, coverage in the U.S. I believe, and we're going to Europe. So when we talk about cloud on AWS, one of the things that I was surprised at when I went to VMworld is I would have predicted that uh, maybe this wasn't going to be such a hot thing because why would I buy it from VMware? Why don't I just go to AWS and buy compute resources there? But what I was told by a lot of people is that they like the idea of just bundling it in and purchasing it from uh, VMware, right? So are you guys getting a lot of that feedback? How is that message in messaging resonating with customers that you're working with and um, how we, how are we seeing with regard to cloud.vmware.com are people actually coming there and starting to use the service yeah so I think it's a, it's a great question but I think let's let's pull back a second I think we surprised a lot of people when you know the we had a we had a lot of industry commentary, right? Which is you won't have your own data centers. Everything's going to be in the public clouds by 2015. No wait, I meant 16. No wait, 17. Uh, look, and there's a reality that that we just need to accept and face up to. So, you know, there's a lot of marketing and evangelists out there who say that AWS is the best cloud. 
There's a lot out there that will say that Azure is the best cloud. There's a lot out there that will say VMs are the best. There's a lot out there that will say containers are the best. Uh, there's right. more that will say PaaS, right? And it just goes on and on. And the reality is every single one of those people is correct, right? But they're correct for the right use cases. And that's just a reality that we have to accept. Once you get over that hurdle of saying that actually all these things are going to be true, right? You're going to have your right. um, traditional applications that run in VMs and operate three-tier architectures. You're going to have services that you want to consume from Amazon. You can have services you want to consume in your own data center. Um, if you've got a three-tier classic web farm with a big Apache front end, maybe you don't want to touch the apps, but you want to you want to containerize the Apache web farm because you'll get all the benefits of doing so. You know, all these things are absolutely brilliant uh, for the right use cases. So the reality is that everyone who's been doing this for a long time, the idea that you're just going to throw, you know, convert everything and jump all in on one cloud, uh, it's just not true, particularly when you then start adding in uh, SaaS options and things like that. So it, it is a multi-cloud world. And the goal for us is, has always been to say, you know, that this multi-cloud world uh, is just a new normal. So we want to make it as normal as possible uh, that you are going to be using all these different cloud services from private and, and off-prem, et cetera. Um, and, and that's VMs and containers, right? And a lot, again, people were curious over VMware's approach to containers, but, you know, don't forget, we, we were there right at the start. Um, we were one of the people pushing Kubernetes 1.0 right out, out the door. And the reason for that is because this is what VMware did uh, way back when. If you just think back, there was multiple disparate technologies in, uh, in your data center, um, but they all had the right value for the right use case. And so what VMware did was we tried to grant consistency where it mattered and abstract away the problems so that you could use all the technologies for the right reasons. And, and that's exactly our approach to uh, the multi-cloud uh, era as well. So, you know, it surprised a lot of people when Amazon and VMware partnered uh, in such a public way because supposedly we were, you know, one was to be the death of the other and who's going to win, et cetera. But when we were right. both working with customers, you know, they were saying, well, I need Amazon and I need VMware. I just wish you guys would work together. Um, and, and so we, we both did. And so the, all the services we have are really about accepting this reality of the multi-cloud world to say, how can you take advantage of any cloud service where it makes sense to do so um, and not find yourself in a horrible mess of uh, complexity uh, by, by making that choice and you know, horrifically duplicated operating models and, and things like that and security policies. So you know, VMware is really good at um, a couple of things where we're very good at um, kind of inf infrastructure lifecycle management, like handling handling large scale infrastructures uh, that that might be that might have quite a degree of variance in them, but abstracting away the differences and and unifying them to kind of present you know a common infrastructure platform. We're very good at that. We're very good. Um, we have a lot of experience at kind of uh, getting consistency of operations again that bridge multiple technology types to give you unified visibility, uh, you know, unified security policies, uh, these kind of things. So if you actually start breaking down the services that we're offering, um, they really fall into a couple of camps. There is services for having okay. consistent infrastructure. 
So consistent infrastructure is you might have the VMware stack on premises. You might uh, you might have it in a in one of our 4,000 plus service providers. You might now even have that within the Amazon environment. Most common question, and, and you said it earlier, why would you do that? If you have an application that's um, you know that you don't want to convert, um, that you're quite happy, uh, but it's you know it's based on VMs uh, and it's a traditional application architecture. And that needs to interface with Amazon services. You can now have that in the same data center as those Amazon services with a very special peering relationship. So those two things can see each other, you know, with that very low latency and high level of integration. That's why you would do it. it it's a phenomenal proof point of the fact that people are using multiple clouds. And what we're actually seeing is that a single application these days will stretch across multiple clouds. You might have some, you might have a physical database, you might have some VMware uh, hosted application servers, and you might have an Amazon mobile hub front end. And you still need to treat all of that as one application. So when it comes to consistent operations as well, you know, uh, services like Wavefront um, are fantastic at understanding that your applications are going to be spread across those multiple tiers, but you still want a single uh, source of visibility of that application, a single way that you can troubleshoot whether you're looking at the application and how many shoes you sold. Uh, if you're a retailer, you know, and, that, and when that figure drops, you want to be using the same tools to say, oh yeah, I can see that I have a MySQL database in my on-premise environment uh, you know, that's getting bombarded with network traffic from, from that router over there. And you want to be able to trace through all those things in a few seconds, um, you know, to, to, to solve the problems that you're facing with your cloud services. So what we don't try and do is we don't try and have uh, this concept of VMware is going to sit over all of your cloud environments. Uh, the reason we don't like that approach is because you'll inherently constrain the cloud environments. We, we think you should be taking advantage of the latest features of whether Pivotal Container Service or Amazon or Azure. You, know, you should be taking advantage of those features. But what we do offer is a, a level of consistency for the infrastructure and operations that says, if you want to fire up a new service, it's going to be integrated with all the other applications that you have on whichever cloud they are. You're going to be able to manage it as one uh, entity. Right? You're going to get cost visibility to decide, hey, maybe I want to move this thing to another cloud. Um, so yeah, VMware Cloud and AWS is a big flagship, um, understandably, because it shocked a lot of people that Amazon was saying, yeah, we see exactly the same thing. Um, it's also uh, a great service because it is VMware, going back to the point you made earlier, it's VMware technology properly running as a cloud service. Spin things up, spin things down, right? This is the kind of cloud that you expect it to be. Um, and it also has that great integration into uh, Amazon services because you know, people, don't, people don't want to care that they're using Amazon for one thing and um, VMware services for another thing. So it, it's a great proof point of the hybrid applications, the multi-cloud approach, which is um, why it takes all the headlines and why people are, you know, particularly those who have been trying to do cloud for a while and trying to do them in silos, uh, they love the concept of saying, actually, what, what if I didn't have to manage silos? So, yeah, very, very popular. And, um, you know, the other services that we have, things like Wavefront and uh, Network Insight and, and capabilities like that, 
are also about delivering that consistent operations once you, you have those multi-cloud architectures in place. So if I hear a consistent philosophical theme, it, it's the analogy of vSphere to um, specific server vendors, right? Where you used to have Dell or HP or Lenovo or IBM, and, and they, were, they were kind of, your workloads were locked to that on physical hardware until VMware came and freed you up from that. So you're able to have That's a virtual it. machine with, with a consistent, um, and I think the phrase you used was a consistent infrastructure and consistent operations. Um, so yeah, the, free, yeah. the freeing from the, the specifics of that, that cloud vendor's uh, implementation of infrastructure or software as a service. That, that's it, yeah. So you want to take advantage of those uh, capabilities that the other vendors are providing, but you don't want to be constrained by them. Um, that's, that's really where we're going. And, you know, this concept of sometimes we make the mistake of thinking infrastructure isn't important anymore as we move to platforms. Uh, but it really is, um, and it's because if you have consistent infrastructure, you actually ha enable a concept called um, consistent infrastructure as code. I'm sure many of our listeners you know, have, have heard the term. But if I can bring that to life for you, so let's say you're doing a you know, very, very cloud native, you're doing a uh, microservices-based um, uh, cloud foundry type application, you know, uh, containerized, et cetera. Now, when you're doing microservices, this is what the developers want. Right? The code, as you spin up two microservices, their developer code will define the relationship uh, between one service and another. So it'll say, hey, I should be talking to you, you should be talking to me. Now, from your infrastructure layer, not only do you want to guarantee that it's up, that it's scalable, et cetera, um, but you also, you know, the network might break that because you can define that relationship, but if on the different network segments and they're not allowed to talk to each other, you, it's not going to work. The other way is you just have the network wide open, and then they're guaranteed to talk to each other, but now you're not very secure. So what mm -hmm. if that same code could actually fire up some software-defined networking connections through NSX uh, that was securely locked down with micro-segmentation that lived and died for the duration of the microservice? Now it gets interesting, right? So, so it has a lot of value. This consistent infrastructure has a lot of value beyond just the operational elements. It actually enables an awful lot of these more cloud-native type capabilities as well. Well, that actually sounds really exciting because you know there's different services available in different clouds, and and maybe one cloud operator has the best version of um, you know database as a service or, or NoSQL as a service, but then you know, maybe a different one has, well, I'll, I'll pick uh, Azure, for example. There, I mean, the, the time when some public cloud offers a better Active Directory as a service than Azure is probably a really long way off. But how do I connect that Active Directory as a service with my NoSQL as a service, which might live on Amazon in a safe right. and secure way? Yeah, yeah, that, that's it exactly. It, it is a multi, you know, whichever way, We've seen the pattern now for long enough. We've been helping, uh, you know, bridge some of those gaps for customers. We've been working with them on the challenges they see when they try to integrate these different clouds, and that's exactly what all our capabilities that you can see on uh, cloud.vmware.com are, are really designed to address. And and this is this is just the start, you know. So we, we've we've had some phenomenal feedback, um, you know, with with. A lot of the commentary around it suggesting that you know this is very game-changing. 
um, it suddenly multi-cloud is the new thing. As I say, we've been working on it for a while. So we're very pleased with the strength of our uh, capabilities here, particularly VMware Cloud on AWS. We actually also did a, a huge update to the platforms um, that the VMware service providers use as well. So the capabilities that are going into VMware Cloud on AWS, clearly they won't be, you know, they won't be located in an Amazon data center, um, but we want customers to be able to deploy those in their own data center, and we want the uh, VMware service providers to be able to offer those uh, to their customers as well. So, you know, we're not hedging every, everything into, uh, into this one area, but it certainly stands out as a really good example of the multi-cloud approach in action. And when you see just how seamlessly you can connect these, uh, you know, your VMware environment with your Amazon environment, uh, particularly if you know how problematic that is for customers who try and do that on a daily basis, and now the problem's just gone away. You know, it's a, it's a pretty phenomenal capability, um, but it's really just the start of the overall story of services that we have. So when you talk about the improving the platform the service providers offer, are, what can you expand on that a little bit? Are you talking about kind of cloud foundation as a service or, or something else? Yeah, so, so VMware Cloud Foundation is, you know, when we talk about um, consistent infrastructure, VMware Cloud Foundation is just a great way of saying, you know, because you can install any technology well or you can install it with constraints, right? So VMware Cloud Foundation is just a great way of saying I, I have everything I need, um, you know, kind of for the core uh, consistent infrastructure services, um, and it's going to be updated, it's going to be patched, so I don't have to worry about that. It's great when you want to start looking above the, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to do all the uh, installing and wiring all the time. Once you want to start getting results above that, it's really good to to have. What what it gives you. You can get VMware Cloud Foundation, um, you know, from within VMware Cloud and AWS. You can get it from within the VMware service providers, and really, it's kind of offering a, a guarantee of workload portability. So you may have seen we announced something extremely cool called HCX Technologies, um, which basically allows you to move workloads kind of live or at significant scale in a short period of time from one cloud environment to another, whether that's on-premises to a service provider or vice versa. And for that to happen, you know, what you really want to know is that the workloads are compatible. You don't want to move a workload and then find, like you would if you're trying to go natively into one of these public clouds, you actually have to refactor the application or update the operating system, change the IP addresses, all these kind of things. Those are the problems that just grind you to a halt. Uh, you know, with VMware Cloud Foundation, you just know that you'll be able to run it in the other cloud just as easy as you can uh, in the one you're in at the moment. Um, but from a service provider perspective, um, they were, for multi-tenancy and scale reasons, you know, they were using a platform that's very dear to our hearts called vCloud Director. That's what gives them the ability to do scale operations and multi-tenancy. Um, so what we now have is a uh, new platform, which is the VMware Cloud Provider platform. It gives them the benefits of VMware Cloud Foundation. It gives them the benefits of being able to manage at scale with, with vCloud Director. But it's specifically called a platform as well because it also gives them the ability over time to add these extra services to their own capabilities. So 
they can hook into VMware Cloud and AWS for when their customers need a workload close to Amazon services. Uh, they can, uh, you know, hook into the uh, cloud deployments of uh, Horizon desktops. Uh, they can, uh, you know, again, over time, um, the services that we're talking about with containers, et cetera, you know, they should all be able to sit on top of that consistent infrastructure because that's the point. Uh, so I, I can see why you would call that a platform and not just an individual product. I mean, it's really um, multiple things working together. Yeah, it's a, it's a key, it's a very important uh, word change. <laughs> it is very much a platform. Yeah. Uh, one on uh, the chat, somebody asks, um, you know, moving VM workloads uh, without data does not provide much value. So, w what about the data? Do we get lock into cloud based on, you know, how much data I have sitting in various places? Because if I have too much data in a given place, um, you know, you know, I can't vMotion large quantities of data around. So. Is cloud mobility really, really real when you really get into the implementation of it? Um, that's a good question from from chat. It's a great question, and, and you know, to be, the full answer is um, obviously data is king, right? So the data is the you know what what creates the gravity, um, which is why cloud providers always want to capture the data because the workloads will move close to the data. Uh, and then you know, you're, right. just as an aside, you were chatting about IoT earlier. You know, which is really exciting, but, but what we're increasingly seeing is the data not just being processed in the cloud, but having to move um, out into the edge environments, uh, just, you know, which is what this whole concept of IoT edge. So, so where the data ends up residing is really key. Um, and having done, I don't know how many data center closures, et cetera, in my career, um, yeah, I, it, you're absolutely right. This is the key point you have to factor in. However, that's kind of where um, HCX Technologies comes in. So HCX Technologies is incredibly well optimized um, for moving uh, VMware type uh, workloads around. Now, if you have a large, particularly large data source, you're still going to use um, you know, a, a fairly traditional technique to, to actually move that to a destination as well. So, Clearly, if it's got a large data source, you're not going to start moving that back and forth somewhere on a daily basis. But what you're more likely to do on that, if you, you know, if you might change your mind or you need it in two places, is the the this notion of compatibility and and you know this seamless connectivity allows you to do a lot more kind of high availability options. So you can have applications distributed over multiple clouds so that it exists all the time in two places. Um, and the optimizations that you can do, I'll, I'll be honest, when I first saw this, surprised me enormously in just how um, how high it set the bar for the, the level of things that you can actually do and not have a problem with. I mean, we are seeing people, you know, close entire data centers in a few months. And that is with all those problems of the data. And there'll be a load of people there who are very, very expert thinking, yeah, but what about all the physical kit? And all? Yeah, all those things are still true, right? There are always going to be the huge database and some physical equipment. Um, but if you can actually move all the virtual machines at scale, um, very fast, uh, very low risk, you know, those problems are very manageable. Um, it, it still is game changing in terms of how fast you can actually move these workloads around. Now, the other thing to bear in mind is, you know, uh, there are 
if you have the concept of if you're not closing a data center, sometimes we have the concept of I need to move a whole application to the cloud. And we had this a lot when people were trying to rewrite whole applications for Amazon. Uh, but again, when you have this uh, consistency and you have that really powerful connectivity between your cloud environments, you know, maybe don't move the database. Maybe leave the database right where it is. Uh, it, it's all just going to be a latency assessment between the various tiers, but you can be spreading the tiers of this, these applications across multiple cloud environments, wherever makes sense. And I, I think that's the point. You've got the flexibility to do whatever makes sense for any particular uh, application and application service. Right, right, yeah. It is All interesting. Right. It, it, you know, it kind of speaks to like a kind of a traditional way of having built on the application, which, which makes sense, right? Legacy applications, by definition, are legacy. So a lot of times we're seeing like uh, older workloads that have like, you know, multi-terabyte and sometimes even petabyte scale, you know, lakes of data that haven't been engineered in a way that it enables them to be distributed across locations. So, it, so right. it's kind of doing an incremental... Uh, you know, well, I'm going to add a, a cluster node in the cloud or in my VMware cloud or, you know, at my service provider's cloud, you know, and, and let it sync up and then do an incremental move that way. But that sometimes it's just not physically possible. Um, yeah, but there's, there's always, there's always going to be some workloads that don't work. <laughs> and, and you're going to yeah. need yep. to do something a bit more traditionally minded or you make the decision to refactor the application. And but those are fine choices, too. Um, yeah, but I think most people get slowed down by, you know, even the simple stuff being difficult. Uh, and once once you can start having easy solutions for 70, 80% of your problems, um, you can then focus your resources on solving the 20% that need solving. That's a really great point. Really great point. Yep. All right. I hate to hate to do this, but uh, we we maybe have maybe 15 minutes left. Uh, I know Corey is on the call, and we we did mention that there is a new VXPert Cloud program uh, that we're spinning up, and we're working uh, with uh, uh, Richard on on building building that out. So, Corey, are you still on the call? Yes. Hey, I'm still here. Absolutely. Hey. Good. Good. So. Um, I, I know we have the VExpert subgroups, and one of them is um, to, to build a, a cloud subgroup that um, will allow us to pull together some VExperts that want to get uh, smart about cloud and engage with ourselves and Richard. So I know you've worked a little bit with Richard to kind of define what the cr criteria is and the focus for the VExpert cloud group. So uh, maybe you can take just a moment and, or Richard or yourself, talk about um, what we defined uh, uh, as a cloud VExpert subgroup. Yeah, yeah, sure. So, um, yeah, so there was always a little bit of confusion with cloud, and then after uh, cloud.vmware.com came out, and Richard and, and Nick King and team uh, uh, kind of pointed us in the right direction, VMware took the right right road for cloud, we decided to uh, spin up a VXPR subgroup um, for, for cloud, like you touched on, Eric. Uh, what we're really focused on is running traditional and cloud-native applications uh, across VMware Cloud Foundation um, environments, as well as AWS, Azure, and Google. Uh, we're really looking for evangelists um, in this space that are, that are doing that type of work for VM, in, in, in this space. 
All right. So I know that we did a call uh, for, for nominations, and uh, last time I checked, we had 200-plus people that that did fill out the application, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. we actually have a total of 248 applications that came in for this program. Right. And and I know that uh, as much as we'd love to have everybody, I think Richard would would say, "Wait, I, I can't work with that 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 large a group of people. Nor do we want to pay that kind of money to to give out great licenses and all the stuff that we try to do for those people." But um, do we have a do we have a target on uh, how many people we want to you know try to have in the program and and then. Um, maybe I'll, it, it, we'll ask that first, like, you know, where do we think we're going to end up? And I know it's also kind of rewards based. So it's, you know, did you do X yeah. amount of activities in that and activities versus potential activities? Um, maybe talk a little bit about that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, so the, the size of the group that we're looking for is ideally, and this is, this just goes back to a, do a group study on what it takes to run a program and, and a group and a community and everything else. Ideally, what we're looking for is around 100 to 150. Um, now, that doesn't mean that we would we'd cap anything at 150 at all. Um, back to your point, Eric, you're saying that, uh, you know, uh, we're really looking for quality here. We're looking for evangelists. So if we really have 170 people uh, doing the work, then, we, you know, the number will be 170. Right. And as this program is just starting, I think it's um... – you know, we'll, we'll find we'll, we'll find a, a nice balance there where you know even our cloud offerings are, are brand new. So um, right. I think there's you know it's not like you you spent the last two years of your life being evangelist on cloud.vmware.com because it <laughs> didn't quite Correct. exist yet, right? Correct. Um, so in in other places when we run these type of programs and the, the VXPR program in general we give away licenses right um, to the software I don't think we've worked on how we would give you entry yeah. level engagement well, we, on cloud.vmware.com but uh, Richard do you know is there like a try a test out try the the service right now when I we go to cloud.vmware.com and set up a service. We haven't talked tactically of what that means for people yet. I've heard rumors that, you know, to, to get a vSphere instance, it's like minimum 20K per year to, to get some kind of uh, service up and running on cloud.vmware.com. And then I've also heard rumor that, no, you can go get a trial. There's something you can go play with right now. Do you have, I don't know, we didn't ask you that before we have invited you to the podcast, but do you have any more information on that or... So no, it's okay to say also no if you don't know. So. <laughs> yeah, so, so um, I mean, some of those uh, comments around VMware Cloud and AWS, you know, that what we need to remember is that the you're going to see something very different from VMware here across all these services. Um, so the services, in every case, the service today will not be the service it is in three months' time. Um, right, okay. And we, we have to follow uh, a different approach for uh, cloud as well because, you know, part of the challenge, uh, and we we learned this with you know things we were trying previously around cloud, is if you scale something too fast and too wide, um, and it's in the cloud and it's out there, you, you can't really pull it back to to make a little change, <laughs> you know, to to the right. foundation of what you've rolled out. So we're, we're it's going extremely fast. Every few months, you'll be hearing about changes. Some of them really big, maybe some new product launches and things like that. Um, and you know that's going to continue on. It's going really fast, but we 
try and stage gate what we release at each point in time and, and layer on the you know the additional service capability. So it's not like we okay. can't do things or they've not been written, but we have to hold things back while we assess um, you know how the previous couple of months went. Yep. So in VMware Cloud yep. and AWS right now, uh, yes, it's it's limited to you know a a four node uh, deployment that that you would take, but you know that that will be uh, we'll be making changes on that as the um, versioning goes through. This is this uh, is probably why this is probably this explains why I'm confused most of the time because I think I hear what's out there, but then I also work internally and I hear what's coming, right? Right. And I don't keep right. I don't keep that straight in my head, right? Because I have heard various <laughs> stories. Uh, from various people, and I think that's probably where I'm a little bit confused. So, right, so all uh, of our list yeah. pricing on, on the yeah. website says yeah. that. And that, and that makes sense. What you just said is that it's changing, and it's changing quickly enough that you should probably stay tuned to what's what's coming down the road. But, do but you guys stay do... tuned, and, and bear in mind as well that there are a number of VMware Cloud services. So again, you know, I'll say it again. I, I personally love VMware Cloud and AWS, but it's just one of them, right? So we have right. we have other services as well. Um, right. So it will change per service. So you know, keep having a look and uh, seeing what the options are available. Obviously, we'll be looking for what we can, uh, if we can push anything to the vExpert Cloud community. Um, right. But you know, it's uh, we we also it's also worth doing the hands-on labs. We're really trying to uh, make sure that hands-on labs give good educational experience of. Uh, these service types as well, while we're, uh, you know, while we continue to work on other ways to consume them. Right. right. So there's, I, just to chime in on on that, Richard. Um, you know, for any listener who is interested, if you go to the VMware Hands-On Labs and click on Hybrid Cloud, you know, all of the uh, the, the cloud services. I, I think you know, VMware Cloud and AWS. There's a Hands-On Lab for that. Uh, for HCX, which Richard mentioned, there's a Hands-On Lab for that. But you know, even if you're a cloud uh, service provider, there's a there's a hands-on lab for that. So, and the other VMware cloud services, there's a Wavefront lab. I don't know if that's released yet, but I, if not, I'm sure it'll be coming soon. So, so as we um, as we bring these members in the VExpert program on board the cloud VExpert program, um, we have email direct communication with the the members that'll be in the program, and we will be sending out communication to when there's going to be announcements. Um, is there any webinars? Are you doing any kind of training uh, activities? What kind of marketing activities do you foresee in the future as you know for supporting educational opportunities to to learn how to do do cloud properly? Yeah, we're, we're working on that a lot actually. Um, and again, what we, we need to factor in as an organization that that agility that I just mentioned. You know, the fact that it is going to be a changing landscape. So we are, um, I, I won't put anything on the table at the moment. I won't put on, uh, you know, the, some of the traditional ways we do these things. And I, and I won't promise a, more of a next-gen way, but we're, we're trying to fine-tune. Uh, we, we hope to have, you know, some, some good projects lined up, um, certainly within the next month or two, that, you know, maybe we, we'll be able to share um, through your communications for people to, to hear more about just what, uh, we can offer in that space. So it's another one that's a, a bit stay tuned, I'm afraid, but I'm quite excited about it. Right. I know I have heard some stuff. So um, I, it would seem that right what, uh, to uh, John's point, 
hands-on lab is the place to go to start learning about it. And if you want to get online and, you know, set up your account, I think you can go do that, but yeah. then you're kind of limited. For the, uh, the low, low cost of zero dollars, you can access the labs and, and start poking around on it. Right, right, exactly. Um, well, Corey, thanks for setting that up. I know that we'll be processing those uh, to get people in the program. I, really, this is going to be a program that runs for 2018. Um, what's your target date for making announcements? I know you've said it in the past, but I'll just ask you again. Yeah, so we're, uh, we're, we're targeting October 27th is our target okay. date for announcement. So pretty oh, quick. Uh, that's, soon, that's, that's sooner than yeah. I thought. Right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, Perfect, perfect. So, um, Richard, we have maybe a few more minutes. I know I got to be respectful of your time. It's coming up on the hour. We got a little, we got a little bit late start. But um, any major goals or anything you want to communicate with regard to where you're going in 2018? I, I think one of the big messages is stay tuned, right? And uh, we'll try to communicate as much as we can. But anything you would like to talk to our listeners about with regard to where you think you're going to be going in 2018? Yeah, we're. Um you know, we're, we're obviously planning on, well, there's so much. I, I, basically, you need to be looking for um, further extension of, of these, these notions I talked about before, that consistent infrastructure, consistent operations. You know, I was with a customer and we were, we were doing some stuff around um, Wavefront and uh, Network Insight and NSX Cloud. And, uh, you know, the customer made a comment to me that um, they thought it was really cool because, they were going from applications to infrastructure without really thinking about it. And, you know, I then pointed out that we'd gone from AWS native environments and services into a VMware cloud environment and actually back to their on-premise. On and, and they said, oh, yeah, I forgot. Right. That's a good objective. <laughs> the more we can make people forget <laughs> they're doing something like that, that, that made my day. So uh, lots more around that. We also, uh, you know, are spending a lot of cycles on really firming up uh, how the application landscape goes across these things. Um, you know, you, the announcements around uh, Pivotal Container Service, et cetera, are groundbreaking, you know, beyond huge. Um, and again, it's not a replacement. This is just part of the story about what happens to applications now that we have these new paradigms of being able to stretch things across multiple clouds. And by the way, there's, there's analysts, um, if anyone thinks that's sounding futuristic um, you know we're, we're starting to get the metrics back i've certainly seen and experienced it but we're getting the metrics back from some of the key analysts that large numbers uh you know kind of circa 40 percent of uh, organizations are already uh stretching applications across multi multi-cloud instances so you know now that we've got the capabilities for that consistent consistent operation expect to hear a lot more around um you know, probably some more opinions and some more support for the various application deployment and management models. Nice. Exciting. All right. Exciting future then. Should be a good 2018. I thank you for all the work you're doing. Um, my stock price thanks you for all the work you guys have been doing <laughs> as well. Uh, it's really been a great year, so thanks a lot for that. I think you're a major part of that. And I think the community uh, thanks you guys because um, it's it's been interesting just to watch the community respond to these announcements and the, the excitement that comes around actually having a legitimate cloud strategy now that I think that we can all get behind and say, this is going to be cool. So thanks a lot for doing that. Um, 
Richard, thanks for taking your time. I know it's late. You're uh, you're in Europe somewhere, so I appreciate you uh, dialing in late and taking one of your evenings to chat with everybody in the community. Um, let us know if there's anything we can do to help you guys in any way we can. And thanks for being on the show. Hey, you're welcome. It's, it's great to be here, and, and you know, thanks for all the community as well because it, you know this this strategy is the strategy that is our customer strategy. We we only know this stuff because they've been so open in working with us over the last few years. Um, that's why we're we're kind of tackling those issues. You know, without without that, we'd just be another bunch of people in an ivory tower thinking we know what we're doing. Um, so you know that's why it's resonating because actually it's uh, it is our customer strategy. But yeah, for now, you know, the ge- geographic rollouts push on. Um, but as you've heard, there's going to be a lot of change. So, you know, stay tuned on this one. Don't, don't wait for new messages to come out on a regular basis. All right. And finally, are you on Twitter? What are, how do people follow you? Yeah, I'm on, um, so it's at R-I-K Munro, M-U-N-R-O. All right. Perfect. All right. Thanks a lot. We're at the top of the hour. Uh, John, thanks for being here. Next week, we're going to do... Um, uh, Fusion and Workstation Fusion 10 and Workstation 2 billion. I forget what the version number of that is, 13 or 14. Uh, but we got those folks on for next week, so should be a good show again next week. Uh, until next week, hope everybody has a great time. And if you're in California, wear a mask when you breathe deep, my friends. It is smoky out there. We'll see you again next week. Going to hit the big red stop button now.